Please listen carefully. And now, live from the Arboretum in McKinney, Texas, it's the Assuming Positions Podcast with two hosts who are frantically trying to figure out the logistics of a unicycle built for two, Kevin and Mikey. Hey everybody, welcome to the Assuming Positions Podcast. Kevin over here. And Mikey over here. And today we are doing another reassumption. I like doing reassumptions. Reassumptions are when we go back and find a movie that was good in the past. That we had some childhood fondness for or our friends liked or were cult hits kind of. Yes, and we watch them again and see if they still quote unquote Hold up. Yes. But we call it a reassumption. And today, for our reassumption, we we're inspired by the Nerd Alerts. We were. And the Nerd Alerts, Mikey had found out that, uh, and let us know, that Dark City was being made into a series. Correct. And we were like, oh, Dark City. And Mikey was like, hey, we should reassume that. And I was like, sounds good. But here's the funny thing. I totally was thinking of a different movie the entire time. That's amazing. Yes. (laughs) Can you guess what movie I was thinking of the entire time? Dark Man. No, I was thinking of Sin City. Oh, yeah, yeah. The Robert Rodriguez vehicle. Totally what I thought we were talking about the entire time. That's pretty funny. And then (laughs) when I started watching the movie, I was like, this isn't that movie. What was that movie? That movie was Sin City. What is this movie? I've never seen it before. Oh, this okay. So this is a first timer. So for me, this is an assumption. I like it. That's even better. You get fresh eyes because we're talking about a movie from 1998. Yes. A couple years past its 20-year anniversary. Now, I looked into it. 30-year anniversary. Yeah. (laughs) I looked into it. Why did I miss this? A lot of people miss this. Mm Mm-hmm. When you look into it, it's on a lot of people's lists as the best movie you never saw. Okay. It got buried like a lot of other movies by Titanic. Oh, yeah. Because Titanic kept going. Usually people strategically release movies to be like, okay, this movie's going to be big, so let's wait four weeks. Yes. And then release it. A bunch of movies did that for Titanic, mm-hmm. and it didn't work because Titanic just kept going. I, it, it's so funny you mentioned that. I have a list in my notes, but Titanic was technically released in 1997, the year before, mm-hmm. like late in the year, but it was so popular that it kept crushing box office yeah. like ratings. It yeah. drowned out everybody. It drowned out everybody. But so 98 was such a crazy year for movies. It was Titanic, Armageddon, Saving Private Ryan, something about Mary, Deep Impact, Goodwill Hunting. Yeah. Like it, No wonder this movie got buried because... Oh, man, if you go back and look at 98, it's like there were so many good movies that year. Yeah. So this movie's budget was like between 30 and 40 million dollars. It broke even. Yep. Which is fine. But that equals flop in Hollywood movie terms. Yeah. And it's kind of become a cult classic now. The people who saw it then seem to love it. Mm -hmm. One of the people who super loved this movie was Roger Ebert. Yes, four what? stars. Yeah, he, he four stars, his thumbs were up. He said it was the best movie of the year. Best he, movie of 98, he, over Titanic and all those others yes. I just said. He did the DVD commentary on the director's cut version, I think. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so... <laughs> 
It's a hilarious anecdote, I think. Yeah, it broke even in Roger D. Love it. So, I mean, it shows that it's sort of in this weird middle ground. I guess love it or hate it, maybe? Maybe. Take it or leave it? So what is Dark City? It's a, it's listed, I, I've seen it listed as a sci-fi noir thriller. I would say that's probably right. I think Wikipedia called it a neo-noir. A but neo-noir. It has, sci- it's hi- has sci-fi elements in there. It has noir elements in there. And it's a little dark. It's a very dark movie, not just in title. Yeah. Uh, it was written and directed by Alex Proyas, mm-hmm. who is, he's not prolific, but he has a lot of movies that everyone knows. Yes. He's done The Crow, <laughs> uh, I, Robot, yep. Knowing. With Nicolas Cage. And The Gods of Egypt. Oh, yeah, yeah. I forgot about Gods I of Egypt. I think that was his most recent one. He doesn't, I mean, it's like every four years, he's like <laughs> the Olympics. <laughs> And, I mean, it's a short track record, but kind of seems to make the movies he wants to make. Yeah. So, like we said, Dark City's 98, sci-fi noir thriller. It stars uh, Rufus Sewell, William Hurt, mm-hmm. Kiefer Sutherland, Jennifer Connelly, Richard O'Brien, and Colin Friels are kind of the big names across. Yeah, yeah. And then there's a whole bunch of people in here who you're like, oh, I've seen that person before. <laughs> I know that it. face. I know that face. I know that face. Did you, I guess you saw this when it came out or later on? When did you see it? Because like I said, I thought we're talking about a different movie. I'm a big, I'm the big dummy. I have the dunce hat on today. Uh, No, I saw this. I saw this in the theater uh, because me and my best friend were big fans of The Crow. That was like one of our Ah. favorite movies. Mm -hmm. Watched it all the time. And so because of The Crow and its association with this movie and the trailers look just like, oh, this is Crow too. We were like, let's go. And so I've, I saw it in the theaters the first time. I've seen it a handful of times since then. Mm-hmm. But this is the first time I've rewatched it in a good decade or so. Mm-hmm. So with three assumptions, we usually just kind of like to hit some of the plot points. And as we go through, we'll talk about stuff that jumped out to us in places. But basically, this is a seems like a film noir movie from the beginning. Yeah, right. like a 40s, 50s noir, where it's like some guy's in the wrong and there's a detective and right. it's shadowy corners and there's always a dame. Right. So we interestingly start off with a... I mean, it, the one thing I like about this movie is it's paced. It, it's go. It's smash it's, cuts everywhere. It's, it's, it's like, like, hold on to your hat. Yeah. We're going through. It's like, what, like 100 minutes long or something like that? And it's like packed. Almost perfect runtime. A little over an hour and a half, depending on which cut you watch as well. But yeah, yeah, yeah. it's smash cut to everything. It's there's You don't see people traveling between scenes. It's like, we're going to this scene, this scene, a little yeah. bit of an info dump, next scene, next scene, blah. Did you watch the director's cut, which is longer, or the original? I watched the, I think I watched the original. I don't even know. I just went to Voodoo, There's, uh, apparently, not sponsored, and rented it. There you go. There's only one main difference that I know of between the theatrical and director's cut, but I watched the director's cut. Mm. I tend to prefer those, like that's the nerd I didn't thing. even know. So here's the main difference, and we I want your opinion after I tell you what it is. In the theatrical one, the movie actually opens, we see that starry night sky shot, but there's a narration done by Kiefer Sutherland, mm-hmm. who plays Dr. Schrieber. Okay, so that's when I saw I remember that. Narrative. So there's the narration that basically tells you what the whole movie is. Mm-hmm. It's like, first there was darkness, and then came the strangers, yes, yeah, and yeah. they came to take us over and ex- observe yeah, us. Yeah. So that gives away the whole movie, mm-hmm. which like I guess was put in by the studio to help audiences get on board because this is like a a whole new world for them to live in. But the director's cut doesn't have any of that. It Mm. just opens with Keith Sutherland looking at his watch and then uh, Rufus waking up in the bathtub. Mm. And it's sort of more of a cold open. 
Hmm. And I think I prefer that. I mean, it's the director's choice, so I know he prefers that. But I don't know. Like, the less you know going into it, I think the better time you have. It's true. But also, I don't know if I have just was wearing my dunce hat even then. Because even with that narration, as it was going through, I was still... The reveals and stuff, which yep. they still surprise me. I got you. But I could see how it would be better if it didn't have that narration in the front because this is a very, it's like an onion unwrapping the layers <laughs> as you go through. Going deeper, deeper into the city, yeah. yes. So I can see how that might be better. I didn't even know to look for the director's cut. Yeah, I mean, why, I mean, for a movie like that, you wouldn't really assume there would, there would be one, but there is. So, as I said, it's fast-paced. We just we start off, like you said, Kiefer Sutherland, we see him looking at his watch, and then next thing we know, we're with Rufus Sewell. John Murdoch. Who we didn't even know he's John Murdoch, because he doesn't know he's John Murdoch. Yep. He's in the bathtub. He's confused. He's slipping around. We get male rare nudities. <laughs> in my notes, I have the note that says, sci-fi and butts go together like peanut butter and jelly. Because, like, <laughs> it's in Dark City. It's in The Matrix. I'm pretty sure there's a naked male butt in Aliens. <laughs> like, apparently if it's in the future, people don't care about butts anymore. <laughs> oh, and then we got the, you know, the he goes into the, the hotel room and there's, like, a murder person in there. Yeah, and then like a broken syringe on the ground yeah. and keys and clothes that fit him perfectly, even though he yeah. doesn't recognize his yeah. environment and setting. And then the phone rings and he answers it. Keith Tyler and like, I know you don't remember anything. I'm He's got that stilting, like he just ran around the block. It's almost like he tried to do like German doctor scientist yeah. and they were like, turn it down just a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, Kiefer Sutherland is definitely, I think he's having fun with this role. He seems to be really like, I get to dig in. And this kind of role is not usually what I think of as a role for Kiefer Sutherland. but Especially not since Jack Bauer, 24. Yeah, I guess that's probably what it is. <laughs> Go for Jack Bauer. No, but like he's got prosthetics on, so like he's not worried about his the Sutherland face, you yeah, know? He's, yeah. He seems like he's whole hog into it. It's great. Yeah. So we got this guy. Rufus Sewell, but his character is John Monroe, but we don't know it at the time because he doesn't know who he was. He's confused. Yep. There's a, he finds a suitcase that has initials on it. Are those his initials? I don't know. He, he grabs it. He's the guy on the phone said, get out of here. Well, I do want to get out of here. There's a dead body in here. Some dead ladies in here. What's going on? Yes. You know, and then next thing we know, there's a bunch of Judge Dooms. <laughs> <laughs> like Judge Doom cosplayers. They do. See, I go, did you ever, do you remember that episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer called Hush? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where the aliens come in and nobody mm -hmm. can talk because they take their voices. Mm -hmm. It's the same kind of alien to me. Or the Ood from Doctor Who. I love that, the creepy, silent, more snake-like bad guy yeah, rather yeah, yeah. than like monster, mm -hmm. you know? These are men in black hats that move silently in the alleyways in the shadows. Ooh, creepy. Yeah, and there's a, there's a really tall guy and a normal-sized guy and like a child. <laughs> The child is a forever memory for me. Like yeah. when I think of that movie, that's the first thing that pops is that little kid is being creepy with his yeah. little dagger and Yeah, they're all pale and creepy and have interesting daggers and like I said, they kinda look like Judge Doom from Roger Rabbit. Yep. And here we are. Murdoch has escaped. He he's fed little clues here and there. And mm -hmm. it does a really good job of going like, here's the clue. When he's he was in a it was like a hotel or whatever, a long stay hotel. And yep. He gets accosted by the guy at the desk, like, you know, are you going to pay your thing? He's like, they said your wallet's at the automat. That's probably why you can't pay me. Then he looks and he sees like, oh, this, uh, my last name's Murdoch, but it's a J. I don't know what that is. Yeah. You know? 
there's a fun bit of him sitting there. He's looking in the reflection. And <laughs> yeah. He's like, and he's like, "Hey, Jack Murdoch, uh, James Murdoch, James Murdoch." Yeah, it's, I thought that was it was great. And was he great. starts laughing to himself once he realizes how crazy it is. Yeah, it's old D and D trope, like amnesiac hunter. You know, has to yeah. find out all his missing memories, but they do it in such a clever way. It's really not just like he finds everything out immediately. Mm-hmm. It's yeah, like yeah, yeah. you're the audience learning along with him, and it's a lot of fun. Yeah, he has to find his way over to the automat and. First of all, I have to say, automats are cool. I've never really been to one. I see them in movies and stuff yep. all the time. Have you ever seen a real automat? Not like that. I thought this was some sci- like sci-fi made-up like future diner thing. Like, get your instant food. Just put in a quarter and take out your... Those things have been around for... I mean, those things were part of New York City back in the 60s, I guess, 50s. Which makes sense. Times. Yeah. I assume they, they probably still have them in Japan. Yeah, yeah. That it definitely... seems like a thing they would have in Japan. Still. Absolutely. <laughs> but if you guys don't know what an automat is, it's kind of like a, I'm going to like, this isn't going to help. I was going to say, it's like a post office where all the post office boxes have food in them. <laughs> but people are like, what's a post office, Grandpa? Yeah. No, it's just a cubby bay where you, it's like a vending machine. But... Yeah, but it's like a wall of little <laughs> doors with little windows on them so you can see what's behind the door. Yep. And you put in your coin. And, and the door opens up, and then you can grab your piece of pie or whatever. Or your wallet that you left there. Yeah, he left his wallet there. And was that the first time he used his mysterious power was to get the wallet out of there? That's when we see what they we come to find out is called tuning, but that's the first time we see John Murdoch tune. It was when he smashes the window because he doesn't have any change or money on mm-hmm. him, so he can't, you know. And he gets angry, and some kind of weird psychic thing happens, and mind wave bubble yeah. it goes against the little cubby and smashes the glass yeah but that's the first time we see it yes yes that's where the sci-fi starts to creep in because up until now it's been a well i guess with the strangers you know those are really creepy looking bad guys obviously but we got neo-noir that looks like it's taking place in art deco new york mm-hmm. bioshock maybe mm-hmm. or old metropolis i don't know it's cool looking mm-hmm. that- so then john gets accosted by some like police officers some street cops yep and he gets saved by a lady of the evening. And then we have a scene that we're like, hey, let's make this movie rated R. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that was, that was <laughs> so late 90s Miramax yeah, let's show era. A, let's show a boob for the teenagers <laughs> in the audience. Because this movie, it probably wouldn't even be maybe PG-13. Not even yeah, if there's it didn't re- have that scene in it. And there's really no blood. There's no swearing. And the man bun move part, I guess. Yeah. But- <laughs> But still, it was just, I was like, okay. I mean, later on, he explains why he went over to her place. Yes. Uh, but <laughs> I'm going like, wow, this is kind of, I don't know. They don't do that as much anymore. Yeah. That's it, a very 90s thing. Yeah, that it's, little moment of risque. Yeah. I can well, see that. I don't It, it just, it, I guess it bumped me because they really don't do that anymore in movies. I mean, I'm not saying that there's not nudity in movies. Yes. And I'm not trying to make a stand on nudity moves i'm just saying they seem to try to like make it work it in sensically yeah it's not now. gratuitous isn't that when it's just there to be there it seemed there to be there yeah yeah <laughs> yeah i didn't because like there really is no swearing or violence i mean there's fights but there's no gore or swearing no. so that's really the only scandalous moment of this yeah. movie that's interesting yeah it was it was just interesting to me i don't have a problem with it i'm just <laughs> i was just saying so when he leaves there he leaves after that scene, just, he's like, well, I'm at, I, I don't know. It was strange to me, but <laughs> he's on the street. And this is where we get to see the really mysterious thing that's going on here. Yes. What's going on? It's the clock strikes midnight 
and then everybody falls asleep except for John Murdoch. It's like a Twilight Zone episode. The town just goes to sleep. You see yeah. people slump over like in line at the movie theater. Right. Traffic slows down and comes to a complete halt. And it's like, he's like, what is going on? But while all this is going on, we do get introduced to two other characters, and it's like it's a noir movie in that we sort of have, we're following three storylines that yep. all converge. Yep. Uh, we got John Murdoch's wife, played by Jennifer Connelly, yes. as Emma Murdoch, as a lounge singer extraordinaire. Mm-hmm. We get two nice little song scenes that are just yeah. there to be like, oh, yeah, she's a singer. Mm-hmm. Here you go. Probably and, not really her singing. I don't know. I've uh, never heard heard of Jennifer Connelly being a singer. I couldn't tell you either uh, way. Doesn't matter. Yeah. She sells it. It works. You buy her as a 1920s absolute I buy Jennifer Connelly as anything. (laughs) I mean, that Jennifer Connelly for me goes way back. I mean, from Labyrinth all the way through. Yep. I get it. It's always been an enchanting actress in my mind. I think that's been documented and observed on this podcast. Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. And it continues. I'm glad at least you had something to hook you into this movie. Oh, yeah, for sure. If it was only, even if it was only Jennifer Connelly. So that's the dame, and then John Q is uh, Rufus Sewell, and then we got the hard-boiled detective that seems like he's getting too old for this crap, but it's uh, mm. Inspector Bumstead, mm. William Hurt. Yeah. He's the best. He was great in this. So perfect. So, seems so much like something out of the Untouchables. Just, oh, yeah, yeah. He was just the... Ah, the 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 cop is here, and he's just like just seemed like the perfect G man. Absolutely, he's got the quippy one liners that yeah. are like self deprecating, and he's like, ah, it's a bad day, but I'm still six feet up, kind yeah. of stuff. Yeah, his fedora and the trench coat. But I do like the the thing that makes that shows him that he's like smart or like the next level detective is that when he goes to the murder scene that uh, Murdoch woke up in in the beginning. He notices there's the goldfish that Murdoch saved as he's scrambling out of the apartment. Yeah, yeah. He's like, why would somebody kill this lady but then save a goldfish? Yeah. And that immediately gives him pause. And you're like, ah, this guy's a, this guy's smart. And we also find out that he got the case because the de- original detective who was on this case went nuts. Walensky, yeah. yeah. Can't you see it? There's no way out. <sighs> it's all circles. There's no way out. Yeah. So we'll find out later that not really crazy. <laughs> But that oh, that's such a like a Dracula move to have the crazy guys shouting truth at everybody. Mm-hmm. It's like you don't see, you all gotta wake up. <laughs> yeah. So this is a when when everyone's asleep here, and we we get to see everyone go. We get to see his wife go to sleep. You know, we get to see the detective go to sleep. They're just showing that everyone's asleep. Yes, all these characters you've met are asleep, mm-hmm. except for Murdoch. That's it. And this is when what they call the strangers who were the first guys who showed up at the hotel before the, the guys who look like Judge Doom, this is where they catch up with them. Or Pinhead without all the pins. Yeah. <laughs> they catch up with them, and we get this little fun fight on the billboard. Yeah. Which in the billboards for this place that keeps showing up. Shell Beach, Shell baby. Beach, yeah. Um, which is kind of, is Shell Beach the MacGuffin of this? Yep, and it comes from, like you were saying, you mentioned all the little clues that John finds as he's trying to put back to get the pieces of his memory. One of the things he has in his pocket of the clothes that are out for him is a postcard from Shell Beach mm-hmm. that from his friends, like, hey, re- remember all the good times we had at Shell Beach? Mm-hmm. Miss you. Give my best to the wife type stuff. So he knows that's something that is personal to him, mm-hmm. and then it just keeps coming up. But yeah. yeah, that showdown on the billboard is great. They try and get him to sleep, that creepy stranger power. Yeah, that's great. Just have to point it out. This was a friend thing that we used to do after we saw this movie. So I guess this is end of middle school, early <laughs> high school. But if we were sitting in class and one of our friends did that to you, I went sleep. 
You had to do it. You had to commit. Just for yeah. just for a second, you had to close your eyes and put your head down. But what if you were Murdoch, though? You wouldn't have to sleep. You wouldn't, yeah. Because he does it, and then he gets... And that's Richard O'Brien is Mr. Hand. Richard O'Brien, who is Riff Raff from yeah, Rocky Riff Horror Riff Picture, Riff Picture Show. Yeah, Show. Mr. Hand. Yeah, he's so good in this. Really comes across as super creepy. It's it. And he has that face. Like yeah. He has that disposition. So, yeah, they, they get on a fight on this billboard, and this is where Murdoch is really like that fun trope that you have where... You have a power, and when you're under stress, it comes out. Yes. So he's you know he's under stress because he's being attacked, and suddenly he's like his powers are working, and he's like I don't know what's going on, but I think I'll make this work. There you go. And then we get the, well, there is a moment of gore here. I was wrong, but this is where we see one of the strangers die. He gets his part of his head scalped off by a falling piece of billboard. Mm-hmm. And a creepy spider space goo alien crawls out of his skull. That's where we get to see what's inside. Because we come to find out that these strangers are using dead people to, like, host them. (laughs) And there's a whole council of them. And there's, like, yeah, it's a whole army of strangers. And it's just actually these goo spiders controlling dead corpses. Yeah, we have this whole, like, it's not soon after this. And we don't have to go through every point, but there's this whole council yep. scene, the council of strangers. And the one thing I now here's a this made me laugh. And I, I looked it up. Uh, and I know you will so much appreciate this. Mm-hmm. I was like, they must be huge fans of the Ava Adore Smashing Pumpkins video. Yes. Because they all look like Billy Corgan from that video. Every <laughs> single last one of them. They all look like him. And then I was like, Holy crap, I think that came out this it came out the exact same year. That video came out the exact same year as this movie. I believe it. And dude, they look exactly like him. Like the outfit looked exactly like it. Like you said, also yeah. kind of like Pinhead, but since they didn't have the pins in their head, they just ended up looking like they were all extras in stand-ins <laughs> from the Ava Adore video. I believe it. That that was his outfit in Ava Adore, absolutely. <laughs> but there, I think there was something in the water, because this is around the same time, like we were saying, The Crow was a couple years previous, mm-hmm. but this is uh, Dark City, this is Blade came out the same year, yep. Matrix comes out a year later, later with that yep. same sort of 90s, like, leather goth alternative. Yeah. I also listened to Prodigy kind of look. Yeah, like fully buttoned up trench coat. Yeah. Or uh, all the way up to your neck. But it has pleather and it's sunglasses yeah. and maybe a spike bracelet somewhere. Right. <laughs> There's a lot of parallels between this movie and Matrix. Yes. That a lot of people have mentioned. Yep. Like tons of parallels. And it's been dismissed as any... There's no... These movies were in production at the same time. So this is one of those classic people thinking of the same thing at the same time. Yeah, yeah. It's so weird how that happens. It happens all the time. It's a trend or yeah, yeah a movement. Yeah, it's just it's so strange. The whole like someone finding out that things aren't the way they seem and they have a power to change it. You picked up on what Christopher Nolan picked up on. This is funny. I wrote this down, but Christopher Nolan, director of Inception, which also has a lot of similarities between Dark City, like... Visually, you know, you could say, oh, they're kind of similar. But uh, when he was making Inception, they asked him what, like, you know, what movies were inspiring him. And he said, uh, you know, that era of movies where you had The Matrix, Dark City, 13th Floor, and to a certain extent, Memento. They were based on the principles that the world around you might not be real. Mm-hmm. And it's such a simple tag, but it's like, oh, why, why were so many things exploring that idea, like you're saying? Yeah. It's crazy. So It's interesting. So in this council meeting, the, well, the whole time around here, we find out that Kiefer Sutherland, who's playing this doctor, what's his name? Dr. Schrieber. Dr. Schrieber. Daniel Poe Schrieber. Yeah, he's working with the strangers. Yes. 
and part of their experiment, and this is what we kind of find out further with the experiment is as we go through spoilers, we're going to spoil the whole thing, <laughs> but the narration up front kind of spoiled it. There you go. But basically this is like, I mean, he calls it their zoo and this, you get these little, little tidbits, little tidbits, little tidbits until it's finally revealed. These strangers are doing experiments on people mm-hmm. and they can use their tuning telekinetic powers to change the whole city around. Yes. And we see them doing this. We see them changing like poor people into rich people. Mm-hmm. And Schreiber mixes up like personality serum or something. He's like a touch of tragic childhood yeah. and uh, this. And he's like mixing up things and they go in the vials. It's part biology, part Harry Potter. He's just like, yeah, know, like sad childhood, but also, you know, rich and blonde and yes. all that stuff. Right. And he puts them all these syringes. And then when it hits midnight and the time stops, everyone goes to sleep. The city all changes around and they go around with these syringes and they like sticking them in people's foreheads. They imprint them. Yeah. And that changes their personality. And we come to find out that that's what happened to Murdoch. He was trying to change his personality in the tub. But it resisted it somehow. Mm-hmm. Uh, he like tuned the syringe out or whatever, and now the strangers are all concerned. They're like, "What's going on? This guy has our powers. What the heck is happening?" And Doctor Schreiber is like, "I think this is the one you've been looking for. Someone with your powers, but as a human, because apparently they're looking for the human soul because they are a hive mind." Yes. And humans are individual. Yep. So they're trying to figure out... What makes us individual. What makes us individual because their species is dying and they think if they can be individual, they can survive somehow. Which I guess is a cool premise, but the creepy way they're going about it is they built this whole city and they took from people's memories the idea of what a city should be. And that's why it's this weird mashup of noir and art deco and 1920s, but also in the future. Yes. It's everything, and they just keep running daily experiments and putting people in different scenarios and running the algorithm to see what decisions do people make? Why do they make them? Creepy. Yeah, it's very creepy. They're trying to figure out the key to the human soul. But Murdoch, is one, has their power and is immune to it. Yes. So Murdoch's got all kinds of problems. He, He meets up with his wife and is like, I don't know who you are. Yep. But you're Jennifer Connelly, and you're beautiful, so I think I can get behind this. But anyway. I have a picture of you in my wallet, and it seems like it makes sense. <laughs> he's got the strangers after him with the creepy child and a creepy giant guy, and he's got the police after him with William Hurt. Oh, absolutely. figure out what's going on. So, yep. And this whole time, he's like, I need to get to the Shell Beach place. That's where the answers are. That's it. And he's trying to get to Shell Beach, and he can't. Like the subway, he's like, where's the train that goes to Shell Beach? It's the express train. The train doesn't stop. He's like, why didn't the train stop? Because it's the express train. And then before that, he's in the taxi. He's like, hey, you been to Shell Beach? He's like, oh, the taxi driver's like, oh, yeah, I used to grew up there as a kid. He's like, how do you get there? He's like, oh, you take Avenue C? Uh, maybe it was Main Street. Uh, is it Fifth Street? And he just keeps forgetting. Yeah. And you're like, that's creepy. It's First super everybody creepy. falls asleep, and now people can't remember Shell Beach. Yeah, Murdoch's all freaking out. He's trying to figure out what's going on. But then we get that cool scene on the subway because, you know, that one guy, random guy tells him, ah, it's on the express train. He's like, what? And then the train stops and he says, automatic change. So he has to get off. He's like, oh, I can't just go to Shell Beach from here. And he gets off and there's Walensky, the crazy guy. And he's like, it's all circles, man. You can't get out. There's no way out. <laughs> yeah. The, it's crazy. The, the old detective 
he actually f- was a really good detective because he f- totally figured out what was going on. That's it. And it made him crazy. It did. And then he did figure a way out, which was a kind of a dark turn for this movie. I mean, it is a dark city. Obviously, dark is a theme, but... Jump in front of the express train. He jumps in front of the subway. You know what they missed out on, though? What's that? They should have had him like show back up as one of the strangers. I think they... Did they? I think they did. Because oh. like, they make a point to show... Uh, in the beginning, it's the hotel like manager that's yelling at him as he's walking out the door. He shows up as a newspaper kiosk dude. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like they make a point to show the face, and they do that for a couple people. And I think one of them was was meant to be Walensky, but he doesn't get enough screen time for him to be like, "Oh, it's that guy." Oh, at I least see. for me, you know. Mm, okay, because since they use the dead bodies for hosts, I don't know. Anyway, and there is no way out, so it would make sense. There's no way out. Eventually, Murdoch um, does he get? captured by Bumstead or the detective or do they just kind of meet up? I so it, it, it's noir so all the stories get tangled yeah, because yeah, yeah. Murdoch's talking with uh, Schrieber and then Schrieber's talking with Emma and Emma's talking with the detective. So it, their paths keep crossing and eventually they do meet up because Emma, his wife, goes to see the woman of the night, May. Right. Because she knew that Murdoch was there. Yes. So she's following her husband's footsteps to try and figure it out. And help him figure yeah. it out. Oh, yeah. Then also... The detective is following her. And also, Mr. Hand is imprinted with the memories... Yes. ...that were supposed to go in Murdoch. Another Dr. Schrieber move, yes. So he can think how he would think. And it's the first time they've done it. It's a pretty cool scene when they yeah. imprint him. But, yeah, he's now one of the aliens that has human consciousness in yeah. him for the first time. Mm-hmm. It seems to kind of mess with him. It's not a perfect fit. It no, doesn't seem it doesn't like. Seem it's, like. It's, it's version one of the experiment. Yes. <laughs> we'll see how version two goes. I love that the strangers have names like that, though. Mr. Book, Mr. Hand, Mr. Glove, Mr. Knight. Like, there's this whole scene where he starts commanding, like, agents to go out and look for John Murdoch. (laughs) But he's like, Mr. Knight to the east, Mr. Face to the west, Mr. Glove to the south, and Mr. Shade to the north. I'm like, that's so cool. (laughs) It serves no purpose, but it's such an, like, it's one of those details that shows you that uh, Proyas, the director, is thinking about this entire world. Oh, yeah. This this is very from the mind of. (laughs) Absolutely. But I don't know why it's... I really like the scene where you have Murdoch and you have Detective Bumstead there. Yes. And Murdoch finally kind of breaks him Mm -hmm. instead of the other way around because the detective's supposed to be breaking the suspect. Exactly. But instead, Murdoch breaks him by being like, how do you get to Shell Beach? When's the last time you remember seeing the sun? Yeah, when's the, last, when's the last time you did something during the daytime? He's yeah. like, oh, never. Yeah. And then he's like, what's going on? My brain is breaking. And yeah. he's, then he's kind of like, I think I know why that guy went crazy. You know, that kind of thing. <laughs> yeah, because he's been looking after Walensky that we mentioned. Mm-hmm. And he's been to his house and he's seen these spiral drawings. And he's sort of wondering, like, he knew this guy. So he knew that he shouldn't be crazy. So mm-hmm. what is it that making him crazy maybe isn't crazy? And it's starting to seep in. And then he meets Murdoch. And Murdoch's like, no, your friend's right. These are crazy. <laughs> then the, the two of them go and they confront they confront Schraber. Yes. And pretty much get the whole story. Mm-hmm. This is where most everything is revealed. There is one final bigger reveal that I thought was super cool. But this is where most everything is revealed. Because Schreiber has been working with the strangers. Yes. And basically tells them that this is a big giant experiment mm-hmm. and it changes every night and you were made a murderer because they wanted to see if they didn't made you not a murderer, if you'd still stay a murderer. Is someone born a murderer or is it something, you know, all this kind of, they're just experimenting on people to 
answer these questions. Yeah, like nature versus nurture. Like, yes. And trying to determine if a soul plays a factor in that. It's it's pretty deep stuff for mm-hmm. what comes across almost like a comic book movie. So it, This movie is very much like a comic book. Let's talk about that a little bit. Okay. About how the, just the look of it. It's got this kind of cool washed out look. Mm-hmm. The palette's very dark. <laughs> mm-hmm. Green and gray and yeah, dark brown. Green and gray. It adds to the noir feel of it. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, the special effects, there's a lot of model and practical effect work. Yeah, it seems mostly practical. Yeah, and the, the uh, elements that are CGI, I think because of the limited color palette, it helps it. Okay. I think. There, like, was, nothing, there was really nothing in this that was totally like, bah, 90 <laughs> CGI. I, I have one one moment that that happens that I have to point out because somebody did this to me and now I'm inflicting it upon everybody else. But no, the CGI when like the city's shifting and the buildings yeah, are yeah, coming yeah. up, it's great. It's just like Harry Potter was a couple years ago. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. Same level, Inception. It looks great. still holds up. But there is a scene when the strangers are sort of giving Dr. Schreiber, Kiefer Sutherland, a stern talking to and they flip him upside down. They oh, hold yeah. him in midair. Uh-huh. Uh, he's wearing an apron, but the apron doesn't flap down with gravity and his hair doesn't flap down with gravity. Oh. And if you think that while you're watching it, it's just look like he's pasted in space and just sort oh, of I floating see. there. Other than that, other than that one CGI uh, gripe, it, it does look very good. But oh. every time I watch this movie, I'm like... Why didn't they hang him upside down? Because they thought that John Murdoch waking up was his fault. In no, the no, beginning. no. I'm saying why when they filmed it, why didn't they just hang him upside down? That's the weird part. Like, it doesn't make any sense. <laughs> But it is CGI. They just forgot to account for like gravity when they did the yeah. CGI, hmm. and it's noticeable if you're looking for it. <laughs> I didn't. I totally didn't notice it. But no, I'm with you. Like that. It. This is all set. It's all practical. Uh, I think they like. There's no on location for this movie at all. It, they built the entire thing, yeah, yeah. and think they reused it for some of the Matrix scenes too. But it is its own unique created world. It's awesome. Yeah. So now we have this reveal. They're in a big giant experiment. Yes. From aliens. And that's, but we still don't know. I keep still going, like, did the aliens take over the Earth? It isn't until later that, that we have a cool reveal. And I don't want to get there yet because I want to talk about it because I thought it was cool. Okay. But this is where we find out that the Schreiber, this explains to Murdoch what happened that night in, mm-hmm. in the bathtub. And he was going to change his personality. But now he has some special powers and he's not sure why. And that's when he confesses to what you hinted at earlier. The reason he went to see May, the the woman of the evening, was to murder her. Yeah. To see if he was, like, a murderer, because that's yeah. what he woke up as. Mm-hmm. But he proved the experiment wrong. Yes. Or right. We don't know. <laughs> but eventually we do get that cool sort of showdown where, not a showdown, but Emma uh, Bumstead and Murdoch are going to Shell Beach together. Yes. With the help of the doctor. Um, who can't remember it as well, which is pretty funny. But he's also, you know, informing Murdoch, like, it's all made up. Like, it doesn't exist, trying to convince him. But they find this mural of Shell Beach, just like the postcard. They find it at the end of the city. Like, they get to this room, and there's the mural. And it's like, oh, Shell Beach. Is it just this room? Was it all Mm, made up? Yeah. And then, you know, Bumstead and Murdoch have more arguments, like, this is an experiment, blah, blah, blah. And then they start busting the wall up. And then the strangers show up. And the strangers show up. And they busted a hole in the wall. And they there's space out there. Outer space. Outer space. And then one of the strangers and Detective Bumstead go sucking out into space or whatever. Yeah, they start to scuffle. And then uh, Bumstead realizes that, oh, you know, I can get the advantage if I take this guy and roll with him out, yeah. the, out the breach in the hull. Yeah. 
Then that, you know, that kind of looked 90 CGI, the floating off in a space thing. Now that I think about it, but I didn't care at that point. I had, I had one gripe that like, no, like they kind of show movement of wind and like pressure, like it's depressurizing, kind of like a spaceship would, but nobody really gets sucked out. Yeah. I was like, that doesn't make any sense. But then they do kind of show a force field because Bumstead, like we said, rolls out the window, Mm -hmm. goes floating off into space, but he does cross a force field showing that there's some sort of like shield container yeah. to it to control yes. the environment i was like uh oh, that's clever i'll give it to you yeah so we're like oh now this isn't what's good this isn't on earth they're in a spaceship of some kind this is crazy modern, um, modern internet has ruined that scene forever for me though no uh, why so bumstead floats out in space and the camera follows him and we get this the overhead shot of where we are. Yeah, what the we dark get to city see is. it. Dark City is a space station, basically. It's flat Earth, though, is what it looks oh. like. It's a floating disk in space with icy uh, underside and the sun off in the <laughs> distance. And that's all I could think about rewatching it was, uh, it looks like all the flat Earth models I've oh, seen. Oh, no. It's a, well, it's a, I saw it as a space station. I know. Yeah. <laughs> that was the thought I had, though, so. Oh, oh. <laughs> But unfortunately, the strangers get a, a hold of Emma. Yes. And it's like one of those standoff things. And he's he's like, she's not my real wife anyway. Go ahead and kill her. And they're like, okay. And he's like, okay, no, wait, no, no, no. I'm not a bad guy. <laughs> yeah. And so he's captured by the strangers. Oh, no. And then this is where you see the cover. Fi- we finally get to see the cover of the... <laughs> of the DVD or whatever. They yeah. strap him to like the clock thing. Yes. And... Well, they, they, they realized we were talking about yeah. the uh, stranger that gets imprinted with John. Yes. That was experiment version one, and it kind of made him crazy. I, f- I think he dies. I'm not sure. but So they go with experiment version two, which is now this time to impl- imprint the consciousness of the hive mind strangers into John Murdoch. Yes. And that might have gone through if it weren't for Dr. Schreiber. Yeah, Dr. Schreiber did an old switcheroo because he had earlier put in his coat and he had, he brought it up with Murdoch, yeah. He had it with him, and they had a little scene where he tried to get Murdoch on his side. But I'll, I'll pick that up, but I want to ask you this question. Mm-hmm. So Schreiber, the entire movie, comes across as a bad guy to me. Is that the same for you, or did you see him as the eventual good guy that he ends up being? He doesn't come across as a bad guy to me. Okay. He comes across as misguided. He comes across as almost like... Under the control of the bad guys, but not necessarily a bad guy himself? Right. He almost comes across as a... Oh, golly. How do I say it without getting too dark? <laughs> but, I mean, it's one of those things where uh, he's he's basically has been enslaved by them because he has some kind of knowledge to do the things they need to do mm-hmm. of the humans they... Since we know this is a space station on Earth now, these people have been abducted, I guess. I got you. And so of the people they abducted, he's a brilliant scientist that they needed to help with this experiment. So he's enslaved. So he's being forced to do it. And then I guess take some pride in it just because it's all he's got. And it is his life's work and he's an artist. He starts doing that whole monologue. So, yeah, I think it's just this guy. I never saw him as evil. I saw him as... Because it really seemed as it went through, and as this proves out, as it went through, he saw Murdoch as a way for everyone to get out from under the strangers. Break the experiment. Yeah. Yeah. So And he, like and he helps them out a few times throughout yeah, the yeah, movie. That's what I'm saying. But like every time it happens, my brain thinks like 
there's some malicious reason behind him helping. Like, it is. It's malicious against his bosses. It just, but I always think of it as like malicious against Murdoch. I don't know why that mm. comes across, and I guess that's me getting it wrong, or I don't know if that's how it was intended. And you're supposed mm. to. It's another twist that oh, he actually really was a good guy. I think so. I think you're right. I think I think he's supposed to come across as evil okay. and slowly reveal as good. And he does. He has. That's the, one of the coolest scenes at the end. He switches the syringes and he's like. <laughs> instead of the imprint syringe it's the answer syringe he's like here's everything i've ever learned and a whole bunch of false memories that i've put myself yes. in to teach you a lifetime that was the cool that was one of the coolest scenes to me yeah when he's going they're going they're showing his imprinting happening yes and dr schreiber keeps showing up in his memories teaching him how to use his tuning powers that's it and like at the blackboard, and it's like the milkman, and I mean, it was, it was yeah, great. The, the the police, the postman, and yeah. like he's a firefighter. The, yeah, I had a mix up though. I was like, wait, these scenes are in the daytime. Does daytime not exist? But then I remembered all these memories are fabricated. Yeah, so it's like the Matrix in that he's jacking in and he's learning mm-hmm. kung fu in ten seconds. Yeah. except he's learning how to tune. Yeah, <laughs> and then we get the silliest best fight in this entire movie. Why do you say silliest? Because <laughs> it. It's a, it's a brainwave fight. I know. Yeah, I it's, thought it was silly too. It's psychic power versus psychic power. And what that like equates to, if you take out all the really cool looking ripple effects, it's two actors staring intently at each other and like head nodding every once in a while. It's yeah. Like a, <laughs> yeah, and leaning forward. <laughs> <laughs> I'm concentrating. Oh, My right. brain is beating your brain. Yeah, and they the brainwave CGI, which looked fine. I it looked like that would look, I guess. Yeah, but no, yeah, I I have to agree with you. It was it was a little bit silly, but stuff started like exploding, and it was all practical stuff falling down on like stuntmen and stuff. So yeah, it was pretty awesome. Yeah, the city's transforming again, and the machines kind of going haywire yeah. now that all these powers are unlocked and going crazy against each other. And it, it's almost like Akira. It's like full scale. They take up to the skies, yeah. kind of like in Matrix again. So yep. many similar ideas, but <laughs> it's so cool. They take to the skies. They're still doing their brain fight, but then the fight is resolved by a knife. And they mentally, they brain push the knife back and forth towards each other. Yeah. And John's like, no, my brain powers are stronger. Stab. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> and then he goes into a giant water tower. That's it. Which I water, they don't like water. Water hurts them, I guess. Yeah, because one of, uh, we learn throughout a couple scenes in this movie, which struck me as so weird, that Schreiber loves to hang out at the public bathhouse. Yeah, because they don't like to be in there. But he doesn't, it's a, it's a throwaway line that they don't do until like the third act. He's like, oh, you found me here. I like to come here. I'm, I'm here quite often. Uh-huh. They're afraid of water. It's like, oh, that makes sense. But also, if they're afraid of water, why did they even build the public bathhouse in, in their dark city? I don't know. Whatever. How do they bathe themselves? Uh-huh. These aliens are so weird. <laughs> Oh man. But yeah, John becomes Neo. I mean, he becomes the <laughs> one the one that was prophesized. And Schreiber knows the answer and helps wake John up, but we still I don't think they ever really give you an answer on why John can tune and why he is immune to the imprinting. It's just um, because of reasons. Yeah, because of reasons. And then he like he gains full power over the city and reshapes it and like puts water around it and turns it towards the sun so it can be daylight. And then all the crazy alien are like, no, the sun, <laughs> you know? And, and then we do get to see Mr. Hand again when he's at the very end when mm-hmm. he's like, I'm going to go to shell beach. Cause I just built it. Yes. Mr. Hand like kind of confronts him. That's true. And it's like, Oh, well, you know, sorry, buddy. And I think doesn't the speech sort of tap into the whole like 
even though I have human parts in me, I still don't understand what it yeah, is to be human. That kind of thing. I'm going crazy. Yeah. Uh. But yeah, he makes Shell Beach, and uh, unfortunately, though, his wife Emma is no longer Emma. She's Anna. She's Anna. I think something like that. I but she's Anna. there at Shell Beach. Did he make that happen, or was that serendipity acting with with John's will? That's because reasons too. I think. <laughs> I think okay, it yeah. is because reasons. <laughs> but yeah, the, that's the kind of topper scene. Shell Beach is there, so he can he makes Shell Beach. He's been trying to get Shell Beach, so he makes it because he has the powers. Or there is that parting shot of Dr. Schrieber sort of winking, too. So maybe he imprinted Emma to be the Anna that he knew would be compatible with Murdoch. I don't know. Maybe. No, <laughs> it might have been. It might have been. But he finally gets his Shell Beach, and he finally gets Anna, and they have the meet cute that lets you know that, oh, they aren't married yet, but it looks like they might be in the future as they walk to Shell Beach together. Well, what happened to Schreiber at the end of this? I forget. We know that the detective went out in the space. Yep. Emma's now Anna. Murdoch's now God. Um, Schreiber, after they switch the injections, before John like fully wakes up, they realize something's gone wrong. That uh, Schreiber betrayed them, so they put him in this like yeah, yeah, Geiger sort of Iron Maiden. Mm-hmm. But John frees him with yeah. his brain powers, and then he just he gets away from it. He skedaddles. No, we never get to. That's what I thought. There was never like a. Like a button or anything. There's that part, like he, I'm not sure if he's walking away or he gets in a car, but we do see him like heading away somewhere. Oh, yeah. But that's it. Hmm. No more dialogue after he saves the day and wakes John up. Would have been nice if they gave him a nice little like button or something. Yeah, yeah. Because he fixed it. Where did he come from? I mean, what what compelled him to do that? There's Okay, so I'll put this to you. What do you think about the unanswered questions of this movie? What are your unanswered questions? Hit me with them. Where is the outside world Earth? Where doesn't these... matter. That doesn't matter. No, it doesn't matter. Fair enough. I mean, if any, it's, I can fill in some of this stuff just with my what do we call it head cannon brain go. speculation. There you go. These are like people who like the abducted people. People who've been abducted by aliens. People who've gone missing. People who should be on milk cartons. It's true. Why was what makes Schreiber unique? Is it really just his scientific knowledge that he's the only one spared? Yeah, I think he was some kind of high level scientists or something that maybe was doing work in this kind of thing and memory work on earth and so they abducted them to use for their experiments okay i think of them as like the like the extraterrestrials that visit earth that people think about yep and they're the ones like all the extraterrestrial stories people get abducted those are the kids that go missing that are on milk cartons blah 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 all this kind of stuff Mm -hmm. that's who those people are and then like some scientist guy goes missing or whatever, and it's like, oh, maybe the Russians got him. But no, it was these alien guys. There I you don't go. Know. I like it. And that's why, like you said, the city was built out of human memory, so the stuff in time doesn't quite match. There's some old-looking cars, some modern-looking cars, yep. and, and it's probably because these people have been abducted from different periods there of time you go. over yeah, the, a long period of time. Some are fresh corpses, some are older corpses. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Creepy. All right. Dark City. So we always give, when we're reviewing things, we always give a pizza rating. Yes. And based on eight slices of pizza, mm-hmm. eight being the best, one being the worst. I don't think we've ever gotten one or no pizza. I don't think we've ever <laughs> done that either. And we can add toppings to a boost to put like halves on things and such. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's our unofficial official system. There you go. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> It's but, officially, it's unofficially official. Yes, the, the the pizza rating, and it is very abstract. 
just how we like it. <laughs> so, Mikey, Dark City, what would you have get? First of all, what would you have given it back in the day, and what do you give it as you reassume it? Uh, back in the day, this was an eight slicer, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Uh, like I said, me and my friend group were big into the crow, big into Smashing Pumpkins, big into that whole <laughs> aesthetic. Like if it was that sort of '90s media, we put it into our brains. So eight out of eight for Dark City, absolutely. Uh, going back now, I still had a great time. It's still enjoyable. There's a fondness that I have for it that's always there. But I start seeing, because I love it and I've seen it a few times, I start seeing the cracks at it. Mm-hmm. So if I'm truly harsh, it probably kicks it down to about a five. Five out of eight? Really? I, wow. I, I know. There's 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 some things I would like to see done differently. Uh, there's It's kind of heavy on the info dump when it info dumps, mm-hmm. which you kind of have to do because the rest of this movie is so mysterious. But I think it's it, there's a couple parts in there that it's clunky. Mm-hmm. Um, CGI, like I said, that every time I see that one scene, it throws me out of it. <laughs> and being thrown out of it, it loses a slice. And it is quick, but I, you, you could have put a little bit smoother transition in there. It's smash mm-hmm. cut to everything. Yeah. And once you notice the smash cut, it's like, okay, we're at Shell Beach. Okay, we're at the council. Okay, we're at this apartment. Okay, we're there. And I, they can get a little bit lost with that, which, I mean, it's a maze of a city. Maybe that's on purpose. But a little couple little check marks there, but... Still a great time. Still a fun watch. Five out of eight. Wow. Yeah. So for me, this is not a reassumption. This is an assumption. I had never seen this movie before. There you go. It was fresh eyes. As I was watching this movie, I thought to myself, if Fallout had a movie in it that you could go to the movies to see, this would be a movie in the Fallout world. I believe it. I'm not saying a movie of the Fallout world. Nope. I'm not saying it has anything to do with Fallout, but the aesthetic and everything that was in there... The noir, but also the modern stuff, mm-hmm. the sci-fi. It literally made me think that you could see, like, as you're walking through the wasteland, you could go by a movie theater and it would say, Dark City, up on the marquee. There you go. And you could go in and watch this movie. <laughs> <laughs> but I really like this movie a lot. There you go. I was I was pleasantly surprised. First of all, I was surprised that it wasn't Sin City. I was like, wait a minute. <laughs> That's such a... I get those brain mix-ups, too, but that, that's a good one. <laughs> and then I was like, oh, I've never seen this movie before. And I kind of liked the, that it was quick. Mm-hmm. Um, it did make your brain think a little bit. I think I would have liked it even more if I watched the director's cut and didn't have that dump up front. But I usually don't like these movies that are like, what the heck is going on? Mm-hmm. But because it was so fast and the what the hecks were revealed so quickly, yes, it was very satisfying <laughs> to me because usually I can't stand the like inception things that are making me go like, yeah, like what is going on right now? Even Matrix got that way with me too. I mean, I, I'm not saying the Matrix is bad. I'm just saying like it has movies that. like that will make me kind of like, ah, I, I guess I don't watch movies to think. Yep. I watch movies to like, I'm a Star Wars kid. Are you not entertained? Yeah, yeah. I'm a Star Wars kid, not a Star Trek kid for a reason. I just want to shove popcorn in my mouth and go like, wee. So I thought this was great. The only knocks on it I have was not its fault, really. Some of the CGI mm-hmm. doesn't hold up, but it's from, it's 30 years CGI old now. Of the era. The strangers were a little bit silly to me that they looked like Judge Doom and <laughs> Billy Corgan from Mavador <laughs> video. It bumped me. I can see if you saw it back then, you'd be like, yes. Yeah. But now it's kind of like, okay, I guess. But, but they, make, they make that cool clicking noise. 
<laughs> that was kind of silly, too. But, and like you said, the leaning forward and blasty blast. But I thought it was a fun time. Mm-hmm. I'm giving it six out of eight slices. Woo-hoo. I'm putting maybe like a pepperoni on there. Or, I like it. Or, or a meat or, or maybe mushroom and something. I don't know. Maybe two toppings even. But <laughs> six out of eight. I had a great time watching this movie. I would definitely watch it again. Doesn't hurt that Jennifer Connelly's in it. <laughs> that makes me happy. Uh, I thought that Rufus Sewell was great. I haven't seen him. In, I've seen him in stuff. What is he most known for? Uh, a Knight's Tale for me. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> for you. But uh, he, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. But he's been in other things too. But I thought he was great in this. William Hurt is always, not always, some of the stuff, because he was in that Lost in Space movie. Was not that great. <laughs> but <laughs> I, I have a soft spot for Kiefer Sutherland. Yeah, I've anytime I see him in anything, I'm never really disappointed by. He's he always him. seems like he's having fun. Yeah, so six out of eight, I liked it. I hate. Oh, I'm happy to hear that. Parting question for you: I gave it five out of eight. You gave it six out of eight. Uh-huh. Will you tune in for the series? I think I will. I want to know what the heck they're gonna do because this movie seemed to put a button like it's over. So, where, do you have any guesses on where they might go? Pure, like based off nothing. Other than this movie, if you had to make a TV show, how would you do it? I don't know. I mean, unless they make kind of like a the prequel, like how they answer your question. Yes. How did the people get there? Exactly. Why was this done in the first place? Mm-hmm. Because it seems like once the jig is up, the jig is up. Then what do you do? Exactly. I mean, are they, are they going to do it like after it's nice? I don't know. <laughs> is it going to be like a, hey, so... We're on this space station out in here, and this guy can change stuff. <laughs> so he's kind of like God, but he's happy with his wife over there. What are we going to try and find where we came from? Is that the movie? I don't know. Because they do say the aliens are extinct, so there aren't a whole bunch of them. But here's, the, here's what I came up with, because I was kind of brainstorming this while I was watching the movie, because we now know there's going to be a TV show. What can it possibly be about? Because like you're saying, it's a pretty self-contained story. But because they did so many experiments on the station they were at, mm-hmm. I would think that the aliens also like redundancy in their space stations, and maybe there's more than one city. Because it, it's not necessarily, the story doesn't have to be specifically about John Murdoch. The movie is, but not necessarily the show. So we follow the failed experiments at station number 13 when the movie is station number 11. Oh, I see. You know, so it's Dark City 2.0. Dark City on the other side of the galaxy. Mm, Same aliens, different experiments. I don't know. Mm, interesting. That see, way you can I, make it like a weekly thing. I almost just want to watch it to see what the heck they're going to do. That, that's yeah. the main reason I'm tuning in. Yeah. What the heck are they going to do? Oh, well, what the heck are you going to do? You guys are going <laughs> to let us know what you think of Dark City. I'm going to wake up, man. It's all circles. <laughs> Is it? Is Dark City for you? Is is it 8 out of 8 then? Is it 8 out of 8 now? Is Mikey crazy for not liking it anymore? <laughs> well, he still likes it. Yes. Not liking it as much. Should I have liked it even more? Hey, listen, 6 out of 8 is the high praise for me throughout all these things. And even though we've gotten letters about me making stuff 6 out of 8. But <laughs> let us know. We want you to tell us what you think of Dark City. You can hit us up on all the socials at AssumingPod. You can send us a Gmail, assumingpositions at gmail.com. Every week I ask Mikey how he would like it formatted, the Gmail that is. We've done things like Civil War era letter. We've done things like Star Wars holograms. I don't know how we would work that out. But anyway, Mikey, 
you're going to do a, a voice audio file in an email. It's still going to be email, but it's going to be voice audio, and you're going to do the voice of Keith or Sutherland on the phone, letting us know some secret that's so important that you can't explain because people are after you or us, something, but you have to relay it. I have to let you know that this movie <laughs> is deserving of more than five out of eight. This is my favorite movie ever. Oh, no, they're coming. Get out of the house now. <laughs> the call's coming from inside the <laughs> house. <laughs> Different movie. We want to thank you guys so much for listening. We also want to thank that guy, Brad, for doing our announcing, Not Scott Production for Equipment, Jazzar for our music, and we hope you guys have a great week in the Dark City. First there was darkness, then came the strangers. <laughs> <laughs>